The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And greetings to Thursday night and welcome to the show once again. Employment Law Show is here for the next half hour. Your chance to call in starts right now. John Scholes here as always and joining me from Sam Firu to Mark and LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in this country, would be our good pal Stan Fainzelberg, of course, an employment lawyer. And always uh, a phone away for you to call in uh, here at the station now or reach him outside of this, uh, this half hour, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. But as I mentioned, we're going to get to our phone calls here in just a minute. 416 870 is how you join the show. Be that third voice. No dumb questions. Bring it on. We'd love to talk to you. Uh, first, uh, open up with the, the thought of the day, the case of the day. Pal, what's uh, what's going on with you, Stan? Hey, good evening, John. Hey, uh, I just want to start off by talking about a recent case that I saw that I think actually highlights a lot of important employment uh, law trends and just general trends going on in the workplace. So in this particular situation, John, uh, a woman got hired in British Columbia uh, for a remote position specifically. And as part of the terms of that remote position, she had to install certain tracking software on her computer to track her productivity, as well as submitting certain timesheets, you know, setting out exactly what she was doing, what projects Mm -hmm. she was working on. So after almost about a year, uh, the company recognized through the tracking software that she had about 50 unaccounted hours, which is, you know, over a week of time, uh, compared to her work tracking sheet, to the timesheets that she was submitting, claiming to be doing certain work on certain projects. Right. At that point, the company confronted her and she really couldn't, you know, have, it. she didn't have a rational explanation for any of it. So they ultimately terminate her for cause and she, she decided to bring a, a wrongful dismissal complaint before a BC tribunal, which is specific to that province. Uh, the tribunal ultimately found, you know, through this tracking software that not, not only did the company have cause to let her go, John, but, you know, based on the fact that she had committed time theft and stolen time from the company, they were her to repay the company $1,500 for the time she stole from them. Uh, you know, shows you really where kind of the workplace is going in a remote atmosphere and how certain mm-hmm. technologies are going to be interacting with that workplace. But another thought that as I read this case that I had, John, was that you can kind of reverse this back on the employer and use this tracking software to claim overtime if you're working crazy hours and your employer doesn't want to pay you overtime. That's a good thought. Keep track of your hours because it will as well. That's really smart. In this case, she should have just shut up and walked away if she was guilty. But there you go. It ended up costing her fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah. But there you go. Don't steal time from your employer. But to your point, yeah, if you're working overtime, even if they tell you not to, and you have a case, say, "Look, I got it. It's logged." You know, your own uh, your own software is keeping track of it for sure. Uh, again, four one six eight seven L sixty four hundred is how you want to chime in, join the show. And early on, we got to, we got Patty. Hi, Patty. How are you? Hi, John. Thank you for taking my call. What's up? Um, well, it's a very disappointing day today. Mm-hmm. We, um, over the telephone, the entire Canadian uh, employees for a particular eyeglasses company were laid off on the phone today. And I, in particular, have worked for this company for over 10 years wow. as a 
I'm employed. Wow. And I was wondering, what is my entitlement, my severance from this company? Can you help me out? Yeah. So there's a, well, there's a couple of ways to look at that, Patty. First of all, if there's enough people who are being let go as part of a division uh, or a, a company, then certain ESA rules speak to mass terminations if it's over 50 people, and that'll establish you know how much you're owed on the minimum. But in terms of what you're owed in general, that depends on your age, your position and the, the length of employment you have and your ability to find a job out thereafter. So you mentioned you had been there for over 10 years. Yes. Um, do, you mind, do, you mind asking, uh, do you mind me asking how young you are and uh, what you did there? Yes, that's a good question. I'm 64 years old. Okay, and what was your position? Um, uh, we were called service representatives. Okay, so... It sounds like you would fall in the category of about a month per year of service. Again, this is also assuming you don't have a contract that may limit you. So if you got, if you have a contract, that would have to be reviewed as well. But generally speaking, that will kind of dictate how much you, uh, you're owed. Uh, you should definitely just give us a call tomorrow at the office and we'll put you, you know, our office will put you in touch with lawyers who can give you some more details on what you're actually owed. Oh, that's great. I really appreciate that advice, and I will contact your office tomorrow. Okay, Patty, great. you're awesome. Bye. Thank you so much for the call. And just in case, I'm going to give you the phone number, which I'll repeat throughout the uh, the half hour, one 821 5900 Again, one 855 821-5900 and there's a perfect example of why you listen to the show and call in at least get the uh, the uh, the broad strokes going uh stand with as far as helping her out so there you go she uh, you know and our, our typical listener typical caller sometimes they have no idea where to turn and what to do but uh, you can set them straight pretty quickly and always that follow-up later on uh to uh, to taking your case for sure we got lots of emails to get through i want to crack into these and uh, and more here stan in just a minute we got to take a wee break which we'll do now and give you time to grab a phone and call us just like patty did 416-870-6400 thursday night edition employment law show continues hang on you're listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. You betcha at 641. Welcome back to the Thursday evening edition. Stan Fanselberg is your guy. You can reach to Stan anytime. He's got a great team with him as well. Always ready to help you with your employment law questions and matters. Going forward, one 821 5900 Help at employmentlawyer.ca. That's the email address you want to use, and we're going to use it right now. But you can call into the show with the remaining time here. So uh, pick up a phone. Talk to us, 416-870-6400. Kelsey's first up says, hey, guys, I've, uh, I've worked through two separate employment agencies for the same company for over 20 years. They laid me off during the pandemic, and then in January, the employment agency terminated me. Is there anything I can do? Am I owed anything? What's up? Yeah. Uh, well, Kelsey, I mean, from the sounds of it, certainly the last employment agency you had, the second one, owes you your your severance at a minimum through the Employment Standards Act because they are presumably your employer. Uh, the real question is, can you get the whole 20 years to count? Uh, between both employment agencies and that one company where you just really did all the actual working and who probably have, you know, the strongest relationship in terms of an employment relationship too. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's what really, you know, 
is the way to kind of view this is whether the full 20 years and whether your these other three two companies are your employer as well as the last employment agency uh, because if you can get all 20 years to count then you know you're looking at something like 18 to 20 months depending on your age and position versus if it's only 10 years you're probably looking at something closer to 8 to tw uh, to 10 to 12 months Stan, is there, is there a general rule as far as, or how do you determine if someone's hired through an employment agency could be for a short time, a long time, and if they are let go, is it the company they're hooked up with or is it the agency that pays the severance? How do you determine that? Well, usually it's the agency because they're the ones who are on paper the employers and they're, they're the ones who hire you to go work at the, the, uh, you know, the agent, they call it. Right. Um, but generally speaking, in, from an employment law perspective, they don't really look at what's on paper. They kind of look at the employment relationship specifically. I had, you know, I, I had a case that's not too dissimilar from this, John. Uh, and it, we essentially argued that the fact that he worked for one particular company for the whole time, regardless of which employment agency paid him, you know, his salary, it was really that company that was his employer. Okay. Uh, if you look at most of the traditional, uh, factors that a court does, like who owned, who told him where to be, who told him what to do, who was his manager, what, who, where was he working, uh, what equipment was he using. All these things are, you know, are contextually used to determine, well, who really is the employer, not just who says they are on paper. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's, it makes sense you say that. Otherwise, every employer or every company would just use an agency and sidestep having to pay severance if that was the case, right? But it doesn't work that way. No, it absolutely doesn't. And I mean, you know, the employment agency still does owe the severance. It's really in these unique circumstances where, you know, it, it, the employer or the, mm -hmm. the background company wants to hire people, but is you, in my experience, trying to get around a union. So rather right. than hiring them as a unionized employee, they use employment agencies and call them contractors. Wow. Things you learn every show, right? 416-870-6400. You want to call in, ask your question. Uh, Rajesh is next. Says, guys, my employer is selling the business and tells me the buyer is going to hire me. However, it's been almost two months and I haven't heard anything from the buyer. Can I still go after the former employer? Yeah, Rajesh. I mean, it's you know, it sounds like uh, your seller has obviously lied to you, unfortunately, and hasn't uh, and owes you severance or is trying to get away from paying you severance. Because at the end of the day, when you have a, you know, a sale of a business, you have a termination of an employee in most circumstances. Uh, and that means the seller owes you severance automatically. Now, if the buyer wants to hire you on, that usually negates that because they're essentially recognizing your previous service or they're or in a, uh, otherwise they're, if they're not recognizing your previous service uh, well they they have to from a statutory perspective but if they're not from another from a common law perspective you're usually earning income and mitigating your damages and therefore the seller won't owe you anything that way Want to make mention as well, guys, anytime you're not listening to the show and you want more information beyond, uh, you know, calling Stan and his team, that's always an option for you, emailing them as well, like we're reading out on the air tonight. But you can go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, great website constructed just for you to use and learn about your employment law rights. There's also access, free and anonymous access, to the severance calculator. And that is, uh, well, it does exactly what the title says. It'll calculate your severance uh, in about 30 seconds with a more accurate picture and number than your former employer would ever let you know. So you want to 
to uh, peel back the layers of the onion of severance with the severance calculator. Again, pocket employment lawyer uh, is the uh, is the place to go for that one. Claire is up next. My department being outsourced stand to another company, and this new company wants me to stay on as a contractor. Is that even legal? Uh, it you know again very it may be legal. I, I hesitate to say, to say it'll never be legal, but generally speaking, John, if you're going to do the exact same job you were doing the day before, uh, but on paper they're now calling you a contractor, that's that's usually not that's not legal from an employment perspective. You're still ultimately an employee, and you're still going to be owed ent- entitlements if they want to let you go uh, at some point. And again, it sounds like one of those uh, those positions where this employer is trying to uh, you know trying to unload themselves of responsibility if it ever came down the pike for severance, etc. But as you've always said, Lior says in the show, it's substance over form. They can they can call it what they want, but when it comes down to brass tacks and you look at the situation, you are not a contractor, even if they say you were for the next five years, right? Absolutely. It doesn't matter what they you know call it on paper. It doesn't matter really how you represent your taxes or the company represents their taxes, if the the facts look like an employment relationship, that's what a court's going to find. They can call you gummy bear. It doesn't matter what they call you. You're still an employee <laughs> and you're going to be owed severance at one point. Uh, yeah. Jason's up next. Again, guys, it's always help at employmentlawyer.ca to, uh, to send an email along or call us with the remaining time. you still got some here on air, 416-870-6400 to call the station. Jason, quick and simple question says, guys, is the general rule of thumb two weeks of severance for every year I work there? No, there's no real rule of thumb that way, Jason. Uh, you know, t- two weeks is probably on the low end of what you would expect most people to receive. Uh, it really go- does come down to the, the factors that we keep talking about. But, you know, it, two weeks usually aligns more with somebody's entitlements under the sta- under the ESA, what their minimum entitlements are, not usually what their maximum entitlements are. And we'll move on to another email. We got uh, got a few more here before we wrap for the day, and you still got some time to call in. Albert, uh, can an employer terminate you while you're on disability? Ooh, well on disability leave. <laughs> Tackle that one. Yeah, I, it, I'm not I'm not saying it can't be done because ultimately it can. If you are on disability leave, Albert, and you know, let's say your entire division gets laid off, right? You can be terminated that way, but otherwise, it usually is suspicious and usually. The disability has something to do with it, in my experience. So, what would happen if that case? Are they looking at not only severance but human rights damages as well? If it could be proven, if it's obvious. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, if they're being terminated specifically because of the disability leave, or even if it, they're being terminated because it's one percent of it, the reason, doesn't matter. That is a violation of someone's human rights, and they're owed human rights damages for it. Robert's up next another email, help at uh, employee, uh, employmentlawyer.ca. Robert says, guys, I was terminated after 12 years, 12 years of service. It was a technical role. I'm in my 40s. I was offered 25 weeks of severance. Does that sound fair? You know, again, John, in that two-week-per-year range, and I would tell Robert that's probably not fair. Uh, yeah. Based on what he mentioned, something closer to a month per year would be appropriate for him in the circumstances. Yeah, that's what, 25 weeks? He's they're, they're giving him basically 50 cents on the dollar as far as severance is concerned. Right now, if he hasn't signed anything, he can he can give you a call and you can pursue for more, right? Absolutely. 
Yeah, Roberts will do that. Reach out for sure to uh, to stand when the show's uh, when the show's done. By the way, one eight five five eight two one. 5,900, and don't sit back on it. Take uh, take action for sure, my friend. Bob says, my employer gave me a month of working notice. One month. I have an interview in Halliburton, and she denied my request for time off for an interview. Is that allowed? It really isn't, John. Working notice and the whole, you know, the whole purpose of giving someone notice in law is to give them that safety net and time to find their next job. And if you are going to provide an employee with with working notice instead of just instead of just paying them out, then you have to actually give them the opportunity to go and find that job if they have an interview. Let's say, if your employer is actually refusing to give you the time off, then it's not it's not real working notice I, from a legal perspective. And not only that, I would say that there's no point of you staying there because that time is not counting. You can at that point just leave. Uh, and say it's determination. I'm not going to engage in this work in this working notice anymore because it's not real, and and move forward to try find another job afterwards. And I guess the first thing before all that, when you talk to Bob, would would be to see if, and I highly doubt it, that a month of working notice would be enough. Like a month of severance sounds pretty lean in any case, right? Yeah, absolutely. Only in the you know the lowest circumstances, like somebody working there for a year. Or, or being extremely young, uh, would that be appropriate, John? So, Bob, you know what to do. Reach out further with that uh, that phone call. James up next. Says, uh, guys, have been off uh, for a week with a cold. I told my employer yesterday that I feel good enough to return to work next week. And they told me that I would have to, you saw this coming, get a COVID test showing I was negative or they could not let me come back to work. Do I have to go for that COVID test to get back to work? Yeah, at this point, John, I, I think it's hard to justify forcing employees to to go for that COVID test. It's it it's not being mandated by by the province. Um, the safety concerns, I think, are have have kind of shifted. And at this point, I think it's it's hard to justify and force your employer employee to have a COVID test done just to come back to work, except for in you know very unique circumstances. So, what does James say to his employer now? Uh, well, that's you know, that's the difference between the, the law, what the law justifies, and the practical issues in the workplace. Because really, he's it's difficult to enforce that. He can go to the ministry and try to speak to them and say that their his employer is essentially conducting a constructive dismissal, or you can try to claim that as a constructive constructive dismissal. But it's also difficult, I think, to argue that just that one action would amount to a breach of the the contract completely. So. I think that's a more of a situation where you gotta speak to your employer and come to a reason, come to some sort of solution just on a reasonable basis between you, without getting kind of lawyers involved. Yeah, I'll probably end up just sticking. You know, here's this one time I'll stick a cotton swab up my nose and show you. After that, leave me alone because I don't have COVID. Right? I think it's probably gonna end up being that sort of uh, that sort of thing. Alexis, next up on the email tonight, says uh, the Ontario government website says I have to wait five years before I'm eligible for severance. Is that true? Yeah, that that only speaks to your someone's minimum entitlements, John, under the Employment Standards Act. Uh, under the Employment Standards Act, to get severance, you have to have five years of employment with one company, and that company has to have at least a two point five million dollar pay- payroll in Canada. Uh, if if that qualifies, then you get severance pay under the Act specifically as a minimum. But that doesn't, you know, a lot of people confuse that with 
what we often call wrongful dismissal damages or pay in lieu of notice or mm -hmm. severance in a more generalized sense uh, and think that's all they're owed. I, again, that that's not that only speaks to their minimums under the act and they're potentially owed a lot more than that. Okay, that freaks me out because the way the way Alexis worded that, it seems like I had to wait five years before she got severance. I'm like, no, 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 no. You have to wait that long to get severance for sure. But uh, Liz is coming up here. We still got, yeah, we still got a couple minutes for Liz. And if you want to get a quick phone call, guys, now's the time to do it. 416-870-6400. Liz says, my parents' insurance company denied her stress leave application despite a written note from the doctor declaring she was unfit for work. Her company now wants her to return, but she's very stressed out and her doctor is against it. What can she do? You know, it. You're just because your company or just because an insurance company in this case says that you're fit for work, if ultimately the physician whose care you're under is writing notes saying, mm -hmm. no, this person cannot go back to work right now, right now that's really the only medical opinion that matters. Uh, and your employer can't force you back just because the insurance company, you know, found that you weren't qualifying for disability leave, which is usually the way this uh, works out. Uh, ultimately, only your doctor can determine, you know, what is the prognosis, diagnosis as it relates to your medical condition. Yeah, we, we often talk about that and see the situation on the disability law show, our sister show, that, you know, when the insurance company decides to cut you off, the uh, the employer says, oh, I guess that means us too. We're in lockstep, so now you got to come back to work tomorrow whenever they're – the cutoff date is, is, and that's simply not true. I mean, it's it, it's kind of along the same lines, which I think you and I have discussed, that just because you're out of sick days, say you get 10 sick days, doesn't mean you can't be sick. You know, viruses don't go by your sick days. You could be off for six months if you're ill. You just might not get paid, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, sick days, as we think about it, are paid sick days. If you're unable to work, you can ultimately go off of work if you have a medical note that says that. And you can also apply for EI sick pay if you don't have any other short-term disability or sick days. Uh, and they will actually pay you for up to 15 weeks. I want to get Jane's email in here quick, and I know we're kind of we're kind of you know sailing into the waters of LTD again. But she says my husband's been on LTD long-term disability for almost two years, got brain cancer. His company will be terminating his extended healthcare benefits once he has been on LTD for that two-year period. Is this legal? Yeah, that's that's really terrible to hear, Jane. Firstly, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, you know, the, usually when you're talking about something like this, what I'm assuming is happening, John, is that there's a policy with, with the insurance company for the long-term disability uh, that's or with the employer that says that after two years they can cut off certain benefits. And unfortunately, that's maybe what's happening here. Uh, if if there's a policy that says that, then you know, it's not a constructive dismissal or a breach of the contract in any way because it's ultimately part of the, the contractual terms that were agreed to at the beginning. Uh, if, however, you know, if it's something else where they're just cutting off benefits unexpectedly, not because the policy forces them to, but because they just don't want to pay for them anymore, for example, that can be a constructive dismissal. Right. 
Right. And with that, we are just about out of time. Thank you for the uh, the phone call, Patty, and all your emails, folks, as well. You can continue on that conversation. Absolutely. one 821 5900 to reach uh, Stan and his team. And that email address we've been using for the last half hour is the same one that goes forward, help at employmentlawyer.ca and that website. One more time. Use it. It's free. It's anonymous. You'll learn a ton, and you'll have access to the correct severance number through the severance calculator at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time in the Employment Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.